Hello, good day everyone. It is time for another episode of Magic the Final Frontier. On this podcast, we talk all about the Frontier format, keeping our listeners up to date with what is new, interesting, and powerful in the world of Frontier. And we are having our most fun time of the year when we get to talk all about spoilers. So, if you missed our last week episode, we talked a little bit early about some of the spoilers coming out of War of the Spark, discussing 35 of the 36, I guess 36 of the 37 Planeswalkers which were spoiled. Uh, One of them was missing at the time. And this week we're going to move on and hopefully talk about all of the other cards in the set, maybe as a two-parter here. So, this should be part one of part two of our War of the Spoilers, War of the Spark Spoilers season. And I'm joined by my two co-hosts. Ryan, uh, the Japan hobbyist out of Yokohama, Japan. Uh, and this is Matt Murray, excited to be here for one of my favorite episodes. I'm, I always look forward to these, and War of the Spark is an especially exciting time, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping to see some cards that uh, actually make some impact in Frontier, and I think that We'll, we'll see some things worth discussing, if nothing else. So, I actually just kind of want to say, like, just in all my time kind of playing Frontier and being a part of the community, I think mm-hmm. this is the most exciting set that's ever come out, like, in a post-Frontier announcement world for me. Mm. Like, It's interesting. I, I see the power level being quite high. Mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of things that slot directly into the decks that I already know exist. So, maybe that's interesting. Maybe that means everything's going to get shaken up. But I also think that some of the old decks aren't going to change all that much. So I got to see where this goes. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. But I think, like, for me, I see a big shakeup from this set. I see, like, multiple new Tier 1 decks emerging from this set. I think we might actually get some some new archetypes as well. Maybe, like, one or two new ones. Yeah, and I'm expecting, like, there are are Tier 1 decks before War of the Spark that aren't Tier 1 decks anymore. Mm -hmm. That I'm hoping is true because I know that there's some strong Tier 1 decks out there that uh, I wouldn't mind seeing having the option to take down and add a peg. So let's start with the one thing that we missed when we recorded, I think it was last Monday. Uh, so this was before the last of the spoilers had come out. The only Planeswalker we were missing was Narset Parter of Veils. And here again, I've got to complain. Uh, you know, they did they revealed nine parts of a cycle. Or I guess it was four parts of a cycle. This is the fifth one. They had a, a Planeswalker in every color for two and one of the color. They printed Narset, and she's one and two of the color for no particular reason. So Narset, three mana, blue, uh, five loyalty, and each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. And she has the ability minus two. Look at the top four cards of your library. You can reveal a non-creature, non-lad card among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom in any order. Kind of like an impulse. Yeah, so it's an impulse that can only find non-creature, non-lands. Yeah. So kind of like what the old Narset could find. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think? Powerful. There's a lot of power on this card, but I don't know where it fits. So mm. we would need a, a card, a deck that's willing to, on turn three, still be looking for card advantage, which is a little bit tough in Frontier. Good in EDH. I mean, so here's the thing. I see this as like a strictly sideboard card, but an but w- so you want to play it for the passive. Yeah, it, it, pretty much. I think this is a kind of card that, like, if you're in like a spells matter or like a kind of controlly non-creature deck, and you don't have great ways to deal with. Uh, ascendancy really is the big one. I, I think this is this is an excellent, excellent answer to that. I have yeah, a hard time. I mean, otherwise, this is a slow sorcery speed divination, right? So I'm not, I'm not like super enthralled with the, the drawing two cards off of this. I guess it's not divination. So what it's... if you're trying to? What if you're trying to combo here? Yeah, I mean, if you're digging for 
two parts of your combo, maybe. Or, hey, what if you're playing this in Ascendancy? Are you digging for your Ascendancy and your Sylvan Awakening? I don't know, man. I don't see it as main deckable, and I think like there's just so many good ways to get card advantage and to deck filter in Frontier. Uh, okay. The three mana sorcery speed's a lot to ask for. The, the effects are... And what about... Sorry, what, what about building around her passive? Do you think that it's worth doing something like building a deck with a lot of wheels and then expecting your opponent not to be able to draw because of them? That would be pretty sweet. I don't know if we have good enough wheels, because a lot of them are... Yeah, I don't know. I don't we know. have Days Undoing at three <clears throat> mana. We have the seven mana one, which you can cast as an instant. You get that Origins card that players draw seven cards, right? Yeah, those are Days Undoing. Okay, also. yeah. And, you know, you could play it on your opponent's turn if you've got Teferi. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't 100% hate that. I'm kind of interested to see what someone could do with that. My, okay. my gut's okay. telling me it's it's not a not like a tiered strategy, but it, it does sound like the kind of jank that I, I could really enjoy. Like, on their draw step, shuffle their hand into their library, and they draw nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you draw seven. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about the real cards now. Okay. The, I mean, the planeswalkers pl- are pretty real. But the playable ones. All right, so we're going to go kind of Wooberg order, which means we're starting with colorless. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had no colored lands in this set. Uh, I mean, I guess technically we had, I think, the a reprint of the plaza, which can make colored mana, but all of the lands are non-colored, essentially. But there's some good ones here, so... I'm going to just throw one out here. We've got Emergence Zone. It's an untapped colorless land. It can tap for colorless mana. You can pay one, tap, and sacrifice it, and then for the rest of the turn, you can cast spells as though they had flash. Yeah, I like it. Um, <laughs> but but when, what does it do? <laughs> when would you want to use this? I mean, because if you're playing... Yeah, I think with all of these, with all these lands we're going to discuss, it's hard <clears throat> because... I feel like there's not a lot of room for utility lands right now. You know, we are ending up playing, I feel like, more two- and three-color decks than we were before, and it just gets tough to, you know, have the moderate requirements for some of those decks and still be able to play a lot of these things. I, and if you do have a couple slots, they tend to go to things like Field of Ruin. I see like this could possibly be a combo piece, like something to maybe make Cheerios or either Flux Reservoir maybe a little bit uh, easier to go off. You know, like you're playing a lot of just blue and white cards, and you just, okay, end of turn, they tap out, you sack this, and then you go, all right, cheerio, 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 gain all this life, you know, 50 damage, that sort of thing. I don't know, so to me, this is bad for the same reason that Electrodominance is bad, and that it's just, it's not worth two mana and a card mm-hmm. to cast your, to then have to cast your spell at instant mm-hmm. speed, right? But Electro-Dominance has seen modern play. <laughs> yeah. It's mostly doing uh, unfair things there, though. It, it's, it, like I said in the in the uh, podcast where we reviewed that card, yeah, it's only good when it's cheating on manners or cheating on some rule or another. Yeah. All right, well, so how about something like Karn's Bastion? That one is also an untapped land, can tap for colorless. Four untap will proliferate. I mean, if you're playing... Uh... Any kind of tokens, de- or sorry, counters deck, or you know, any kind of planeswalker deck, I think you maybe want at least one of these. So, sorry, you were going to speak you... there, Fink. No, no, no. I was just kind of sighing because it's tough. Yeah, it is. Life's tough. There's this. This is the first time we have proliferate in Frontier, 
And there's going to be decks that can take advantage of it, I think. And they're probably going to want this card. Maybe not a four-off, but at least like a one-off. I mean, I have to grant that repeatable proliferate is... that That's a lot. Mm-hmm. But the opportunity cost of it not being like a colored land and like five mana to proliferate is... Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a lot to ask, so I'm... Yeah, so I like that it's untapped, but it makes it tough because if I'm thinking of something like hardened skills... I've got a lot of one-mana green spells. I kind of want to be able to have that colored mana right away. Mm-hmm. That makes it tough. I'm also... I feel like with those kinds of decks, my problem's not usually that, oh, I don't have enough counters on my guys. It's usually that I ran out of dudes. I ran out of gas. Mm-hmm. They killed my one walking ballista or whatever, and now I don't have anything. I've just got a you know a snake and this Karn Bastion that doesn't do anything. It could be in like a colorless or like a monocolor with colorless cards like a mono green or mono black or something maybe i have liked the idea of you know there was a constructs tribal deck Mm -hmm. sort of bouncing around the fringe there and i feel like this card could definitely be playable there yeah okay Ooh, i'm gonna have to build that later because that's really exciting and they played a lot of walkers Mm. all right next card all right so i'm gonna move on to the next one with mobilized district so i always love manlands and this one is a colorless manland it's untapped land, can tap for colorless, or you can pay four and it becomes a 3-3 citizen creature with vigilance until end of turn, mm-hmm. that's still land, and it costs one less to use if for each legendary creature and planeswalker you control. Yeah, this could actually be free, I think, you know, 3-3 three, three for free is pretty nice. I, I think it's really ambitious to think of it as for free, mm-hmm. but like, I think you could reasonably get it down to like three or two and like you could, you mm-hmm. could expect that pretty much. Which I, I think is, play, which is this would be more yeah, at least as good of a deck. rate. <clears throat> like, yeah, I don't I, think you'd be playing this with a lot of uh, legendary creatures because, especially in Frontier, they're all three colors. Yeah, I tend to agree. Mm-hmm. I think it's a Planeswalker deck card. Yeah, and I think it's okay there. Yeah, I think you and I were discussing. You know, the, what I really like is you play it with something like Teferi, and then you activate it, and they can't kill to kill it because you know they can't fatal push it if you've got Teferi in play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a sweet... And to me, that sounds really nice. It does sound really nice, yeah. And I like that that uh, interaction a lot. So, yeah, I think this will see play. I think this is pretty good. Okay, uh, last one I wanted to talk about, and pro- maybe the best one here, is Blast Zone. So this one enters with a charge counter on it, also untapped. can tap for colorless. XX tap, put X card- charge counters on it, and then three and sacrifice it, and tap, and it destroys each non-land permanent with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on it. So this works a lot like the way uh, Engineered Explosives does. Mm. But it's, as a land, you know, it's free. Yeah, yeah. So I think I this like is it. this is your big draw into, like, a two-color control. So your your white-blue, your blue-black. And mm. I, th- I think it seems pretty playable. It's probably not... So what about, Eld- what about Eldrazi? I don't think it you know, we solves have... Eldrazi's problems, is, is mostly where I'm at. You know, they always had a lot of really good utility lands. They would be someone that could easily drop three, four of these into their deck and not be, you know, badly affected by it. Absolutely, yeah. But, I mean, like you I said, they all, they always had good utility lands, right? That's not... Mm-hmm. The Eldrazi aren't struggling because they have they don't have good lands, you know? That's true. So, yeah. I, all right, that's, uh, yeah, that's probably... If we, yeah, best land, what do you guys think? Yeah. Easily Blast Zone. Yeah. Probably blast some. All right, we're going to move on to the rest of Wilberg, which is white. 
where do we want to start with? So we've got a white mythic or two that we haven't talked about, if you want to go there. Can I talk about it? Do it. Yeah. Oh, you can always talk about it, Ryan. Because it's tokens. I'm the token guy. So, <laughs> the to- token guy from Japan. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, we've had... You're a token Japanese guy. We, we, we've had, uh, what was the, was it Dragons of Tarkir, the Secure the Waste, you know, Instant Speed. Yes, that great. was uh, Fates Were Forged, I think. What card are we talking about? Finale of Glory. There we go. Oh, you got to read it. Yeah, if you're going to talk about it, you got to yeah, read but, it. <laughs> so, yeah, Finale of Glory, you know, you create X2-2 White Soldier creature tokens with Vigilance. And if X is 10 or more, you also create X4-4 White Angel creature tokens with Flying and Vigilance. So... Yeah, so this is a cycle that costs X and two of the relevant color. This one is the white one, so X, white, white. So basically you're, you're getting, uh, what, 40, uh, 60 power if you cast X for, t- for two. Yeah, if the X is 10. Okay, so that would be an extreme ending. ramp deck. But let's talk normal use cases. Yes. I would be happy casting this for three mana and getting a 2-2. Two, two. Yes. I, I, absolutely not. I think what? I would be in, in my tokens deck. Tokens die to so many one damage spells. Even I'm wait, still wait. not okay playing a gray ogre. I mean, I think I think the floor has to be four mana, two two mm. twos, right? That's that's your plan. Yeah. As a plan, I'm not yes. in love with that. So th- yeah, that, that's kind of where I was going with this. Is that this is a tokens card that can't be cast for less than four mana, which means it's competing with Gideon, it's competing with Soren, it's competing with Anointed Procession, it's competing with you know, a million things at four or five mana that the token stack would love to play. I don't know. I think the green-white token stack that saw some play last season was actually all right. It didn't put up any mm-hmm. really good finishes, but I, I think it had a lot of potential, and I think this is going to slot into that deck very well. I mean, there's so many cards of four mana, like Fink just said, though, right? Because This you're, isn't going to be played for four mana. Yeah, but that's a slot you're going to have to put it in, right, when you're talking about deck building? The deck building cost is another four drop. Mm. So, like, you're you're looking at like the Selesnya Centaur would be a good fit for that kind of slot. Gideon, Soren, mm. all the ones like Fink just said. You know, I think I think maybe it's a certain type of green white then that could fit in. I mean, green white tokens, not so much the one you're thinking of. You know, that has like the the. How do I say? Uh, you know, like the centaur and stuff like that, but more just like a pure ramp, go wide strategy. So something like the um, what Cryptolith writes? Yeah, or the uh, the other one um, that puts a plus one plus one Frailize's song. Yeah, there's a song of Frailies, and there's also now one of the Planeswalkers did the same thing. Yeah, so. I want to say Jiangyu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, I actually, like I don't think this card's garbage. I just, I don't think. I don't think you can make a good token stack that also ramps without mm. like giving up too much. I think you. Yeah, I th- it's tough right now. I think you could put this in a shell that accelerated its mana a bit and happened mm-hmm. to be in white. Because mm-hmm. I think like even if you're just gonna make like five two twos, that's not do a bad guys, rate. Do you guys remember the green white ramp deck? Um, I believe it was in Amonkhet. It came in towards the end of the season. 
No? Maybe. Yeah, but... I mean, I know I was playing something then. Anyways. All right, I'm going to talk about the other mythic that we have in white that we might want to talk about, which is God Eternal Aketra. So this is also a cycle. This one's five mana for a 3-6 double strike. Zombie God legendary creature. Uh, and whenever you cast a creature spell, you create a 4-4 black zombie warrior creature with vigilance. And whenever she dies or is put into exile from the battlefield, you can put on top of its owner's library third from the top. So all the gods have that. You know, you can tuck them third from the top. They come back uh, after some point. You know, it's not card advantage like the uh, the ones on Amonkhet were, but it at least doesn't really die. Mm-hmm. And what about this? So this is a five mana spell. It, it doesn't do nothing because it is a 3-6 double strike that can attack and block on its own, but you really want to play a bunch of creatures after it, which is a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of torn on this, and a lot of the gods, really, because, like, <laughs> it's... They're all, most of them are like five mana sorcery speed. Um, mm-hmm. This one doesn't impact the board right away. Uh, body is pretty good, so three six double strike is nothing to scoff at, even at five mana. Yeah, it can't be pushed. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of like trades one for one with removal. But on the other hand, that's a lot of inevitability. Mm-hmm. Right, like it's very bad against counter spells, though, which makes it kind of awkward. You know, you want that inevitability against control, but if they can get one essence scatter on it, then she's gone. I mean, yeah, I guess that that's kind of the the alternative too, right? Because who do you want inevitability against? Probably the deck that has ways to deal with this. So, yeah, I don't know. It, I wouldn't be offended to see people play it as like a one or two of, but like I think it's more of a, I think it's a fun of. All right, why don't you guys read one of them off so I don't have to kill my voice reading every card. All right, so I'm going to jump right in here and go to Gideon's Triumph. So it's one white, Mm. one colorless. It's an instant. Target opponent sacrifices a creature that attacked or blocked this turn. If you control a Gideon Planeswalker, that player sacrifices two of those creatures instead. So it's another cycle. We got a whole lot of edicts this set. Yes. I think this one's pretty good. Yeah, this one's definitely a little bit more variable than other edicts, so you know you can just hit their copter and not the creature that crewed it. Uh, things like that are nice about this. Yeah, I think I think of all the one all the whole cycle, the triumph cycle where it requires or like the secondary effect requires you to have a planeswalker of that type in play. I think Gideons are often the hardest to remove. Mm. Yeah, and there's the most playable at low mana costs. That, that's certainly true. Yeah, so I think if you're going to rely on... If you're ever going to like factor in having a Planeswalker on board when you evaluate a card, I think this is the triumph to do it with. Hmm. I really like it in mono-white aggro. Like, you just keep the pressure on them. If they put any creatures down, you cast this, they lose their board. Well, that that is awkward still, because if they're just, you know, they're playing a blocker, you still can't just kill it and get through. And, what's and that's really what white would love to have. Well, white blocks like... so you can sack it without before damage is dealt, right? Sure, you can have them sack it before damage is dealt, but they still got the block it. And, you yeah. know, really that's what they're trying to do against your deck. So sometimes that's, that's not exactly the kind of removal spell you want. Yeah, I see this almost as more of a control card, right? So the, the decks that were interested in Blessed Alliance, right? If, if they have some Gideons in the mix, they might be interested mm-hmm. in this. 
So if they don't have Gideons in the mix, this is just a lot worse than Blessed Alliance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But if they do have Gideons, they might be persuaded to try this card out. Okay. So it might it might see some fringe play here and there. You know, it's probably a C if we're doing some kind of rating like that. Yeah. yeah I, think it's, I think it's a solid playable. Keep, keep it in mind. Uh, so can we talk about Tomic Tomic? Uh, Distinguished Advocist. Uh, so this guy's two white for a two three flying human advisor, and he's got lands on the battlefield, lands in the graveyards, can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control, and your opponents can't play land cards from graveyards. So I don't know how much the rest of that text matters, you know, unless if they're trying to field of ruin you maybe. But it, it's a two three flying human for two. Is that something that's interesting? Oh, is this a lawyer guy? I don't there he yeah, he's the advocist. Uh, he's the legendary creature human advisor. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think he's fine, but, like, the body's not that exciting, you know? It's kind of like... I, I think you have to count on the, the text of it to be worthless in Frontier. I don't think it really does anything. So... I mean, I do like that if you can get him one plus one plus one from, like, a Thalia's lieutenant or an always watching... A 3-4 flyer in Frontier is a pretty good stat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong about that. I'm just kind of like... It, it. I'm lukewarm. It, it doesn't really... Okay. Even, yeah. even if you play it, like you're not playing it for an exciting reason, you know? Mm-hmm. I think he'll become more relevant in future sets. This sounds like we don't really have a lot of land destruction yet, but I'm guessing there's going to be land destruction coming. All right. Um, I don't have anything else really in white else that I needed to talk about. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk about with, yeah. something. I wanted to talk about something you guys erased. No! Why did you erase it what again? Erase? Gideon, what did he erase? <laughs> Gideon Sacrifice. Oh, yeah, we, we don't need to talk about that. What? The card is so what? bad. What? We're not talking about plot here. No, <laughs> man. It's... How is that not a card that can totally like create a new type of deck? One mana instance, one mana instance, choose a creature, planeswalker you control, all damage that would be dealt this turn to you or permanent control is dealt to that chosen permanent instead. So yeah, you play it with like a Gideon. So it's a life gaming card with a setup cost and card disadvantage. It's it's a conditional life gain card. This is not something that you would this is not something that you would play. When your opponent attacks you, this is something you are that correct. You I, would, this is not something I would play. You would, you would play this with a card like uh, Madcap Experiments. You, you cast it, targeting one of your permanents mm. before you cast that, and then you mill out your whole deck with Madcap. Play your your win con. You get the win con, and then all that damage goes to that creature or or player instead. Or sorry, Planeswalker instead. Or the new black card, the six mana uh, black card that you guys so that's that that brings so that's all three cards. We're spending three cards to get a win con, and I don't think that there's a, an artifact win con in front okay. of you that just wins us the game right away. Okay, okay, okay. But I'm just I have I have a plan. I have a plan, guys. Yeah. So I don't know how we're gonna do it yet, but we're gonna deal twenty damage to ourselves, and we're gonna use this on True Fire Captain. Yes! Mm-hmm. Yes! Exactly! That was another idea. This, this is beautiful jank, but it yes. is jank. It is jank. Yes. Okay. Okay, so we will talk about some fun things that we can brew in Frontier later, but I think that let's move on okay. to another color oh, for the sake of time. Okay. So I'm going to talk about blue. Uh, so let's go to blue here. Where are we going to start? So I'm going to start with a reprint here with Augur of Bolas. Mm. So this is a card people know. 
Uh, it's a one and a blue for a one three, and when it comes into play, you look at the bottom three cards of your library. No, so you look at the top three cards of your library. If there's an instant or sorcery among them, you can put it in your hand. You put the rest in the bottom in any order. Every control deck is gonna be playing this. Every uh, I don't know about that. See, to me, this is this is a very standard card, uh, and when I say that, I mean it does good things, and it has like a body that yeah, it's a, that's a great blocker. Awesome. It does some cool things, but as gets... the power level and the options, especially at instant speed, begin to grow, yeah, it, it becomes. It's not bad. It's just like control wants to spend their time better you know it, it, it becomes not well, a consideration would, you would definitely yeah i think there's also I, I i'm not even sure if the standard you know blue black control deck is playing quite enough hits for this just because of or like the blue black white control deck you know you're playing teferi you're playing sir therese canta you're playing gear hulk none of those things can be hit by this and that makes it a little bit awkward for me but you definitely would play this over and anticipate or something right I, I agree. I don't think you should be playing Anticipate in Frontier. Yeah. So I, I think the other awkward thing is that one power is not very good in Frontier. It, it's Frontier has become exceedingly harsh to X1s, mm-hmm. you know, between Chain Whirler, between Liliana. So it tends to just be that usually X1s don't see much play. So I, I don't think that an Augur of Bolas is going to be killing very many things in combat, mm. even if it can block some things. I, I do expect people to play this. I just I don't expect it to be. Um, a lot of people are panning it as like the next big thing, but I think a lot of those people are looking at past standards and how it, it yeah. saw play in those standards. But I think again, it, it, it's it's seeing play as a function of card pool being limited, mm-hmm. right? All right. So Ryan, I don't want you to think that we're shutting down your fun ideas. Why don't you pick another blue card for us and read it out? Uh, I didn't really care for blue to be honest, but uh, <laughs> oh yeah, you don't usually uh, play blue, do you? All right, so I guess God Eternal Kefnet was one card that I kind of liked. So you may re- okay. So this one's the cheapest one. It's four mana mm-hmm. as a legendary creature, Zombie God. Yes. So this is a four five with flying, and at the, you reveal the first card you draw each turn, and as you draw it, uh, you can reveal it. If it's an instant or sorcery, you can cast a copy of that spell for two less mana than this mana mm. cost. And then it's got that uh, tuck ability. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a great card for maybe like a prowess or like a burn deck on the top end. Or like a blue-red oh, interesting. cantrip burn tor- sort of thing. You like make double copies. Or even like the what it, the Thermal Alchemist type deck. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like you have that and this guy's on the top end and you're doubling all your your shocks or you're doubling your lightning strikes or something like that. And you're getting six damage plus two more damage off of the zero four wall or whatnot. So I think there's there's a lot better things to play. Well at four that's just mana my initial response. In burn, that's all. Yeah, I don't hate the body. I think I'm pretty happy with a four or five flying for four that blocks pretty much anything relevant. So I'm not upset with this. I think it will find a place to see play, but I don't see any obvious decks that want it right now. Mm. I think this is like barely playable. I think it's a lot worse than like people are giving it credit for because it kind of suffers like all the gods are they they're sorcery speed. Uh, a lot of them don't impact the board when they come into play and they trade one for one with removal. Um and then this guy doesn't even necessarily draw a card next turn or the turn after or like 
they're yeah. So he's he's bad with counter spells. He's bad with planeswalkers, which I feel like I would like in a you know kind of mid rangey blue deck. Yeah, he feels like he wants to be like. I feel like there must be four mana planeswalkers even that just do the job this guy's looking to do, right? Ooh, he hmm. put him in a mill deck as well, like Sphinx Tutelage. Double mill for like 14 in one turn. That sure is a lot of upside when you hit your, you hit your cards. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think he's, I think he's strictly okay. And like, I think, I think you could play him because he'll come back and that's pretty cool. And yeah. And the fact that he's four mana actually kind of makes him awkward. You can't, you can push him. Which, if you're, you know, a control deck and he's your only push target, that's pretty bad. So he'll be interesting. I don't know where he'll see play, but I don't think he'll never see play in Frontier. Mm. I I don't expect him to see Tier 1 play. How's that? It'll take a season or two for him to make his splat. So how about the other mythic, you know, the other other one of these cycle cards here? We've got Finale of Revelation, X, blue, blue, draw X cards, and if it's 10 or more, uh, you shuffle your graveyard into your library... You untap five lands, and you have no maximum hand size, and you exile it. I think... Now, this this one, definitely, I don't see any reason to go for the ten or more. Like, untapping five lands isn't going to win you the game, probably. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, by the time you're drawing ten cards, so... You're... Whereas the rest of the these finale cycle, the if you do ten or more, basically just says, if you do ten or more, you win the game. I mean, yeah, I think... I think... In the kind of deck that wants to draw like ten cards off this, that that's the same thing as winning the game. Sure, but drawing nine cards is probably winning. Yeah, the yeah. Kind of I, I just think like the X value in this one scales better mm-hmm. than any of the other finales. Okay, okay. I, I don't think this is good. I I don't. This is such a weird card because like I feel like we got a lot of stuff that just can't be countered this set, and this feels like one of them that maybe should have had that because like. Hmm. Anytime you're going for the, you know, your the huge card draw at sorcery speed with an X, right? That's just like I just want to tap everything, right? I just want to tap out at sorcery speed, and I feel like yeah, you're just gonna get demoed if you do that. Well, speaking of can't be countered, commence the end game is another, uh, you know, kind of gear Hulk option. Uh, so this is six mana instant. It can't be countered. You draw two cards and then amass X, where X is the number of cards in your hand. So a reminder on amass, since the first time we mentioned it this episode, is you make a zombie, a zero zero zombie, and you put X plus one plus one counters on it. Or if you already had one of these army zombies, then you put those counters on it instead of making a new one. Talk to me, Ryan. What do you think? <laughs> well, I guess what if you're a control deck, this will probably end up putting, a, what, a 5-5 five, five creature into play? 6-6, six, six, usually? Probably going to keep your hands full. I think uncounterable instant speed draw two. I think that's reasonable. I, I think that's uh, reasonable to expect it to be a six six or so. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> oh, excuse me. I think there's like there's some interesting tension here because like can't be countered is like a really powerful effect, and I, I really like some of the amass cards. There's some really cute things you can do with this uh, this mm-hmm. mechanic. It, it is really hard for me to imagine this kind of usurping the spot of Gear Hulk. In the format when we yeah, that's, when we have dig through time, the tough spot, right? It's like and and, and it, you wouldn't really want to play this alongside Gear Hulk. Like as much as fun as it would be to you know flash this back with Gear Hulk and get a big creature alongside your Gear Hulk, I think that that's just too many six drops. So I, I do think it's like fringe playable though. I have to be honest. I think you have to play it if you were going to play it. I think you'd want some other amass payoffs 
because like you can do some really cool things like flash this in during combat to just like one shot them or some some crazy thing like that you know hmm. I could see this coming into like the mirror battles I was gonna say yeah does this work in a control mirror over something like you know Sphinx of the final word which is a couple more mana than this I think Sphinx wins the game better which I think is why you bring that in sure yeah but I mean you got to assume they've sided out their fatal pushes if you've got an uncounterable creature that draws two cards and you've just been you know if you guys are just doing land go for the whole game and you drop this as a nine nine that seems decent. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. It's, uh, it's all right. All right, uh, I'm gonna go on. What do you guys think about Fibble Thip the Lost? So he finally got a card, two mana, one one, legendary creature, homunculus. And when he enters the battlefield, you draw a card. If he enters from the library or is cast from the library, you draw two cards instead. And if he becomes a target of a spell, you shuffle him into your library. Yeah, I uh, don't think it's playable. So straight into Marvel, right? <laughs> Not playable. Really? I don't think so. I mean, there's so, better. So better Elvish Visionary is not play. really seeing play. Yeah, yeah. So I'm interested in seeing him in kind of like a value cocoa list, right? Uh, I think, I think we've been seeing a little more value cocoa recently, and I think he fits in really nicely um, as just a clean three for one when you hit him off cocoa, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he's amazing, but I think I, I do think we could see him. In a cocoa list, like just where it's pure value town, so not going like humans, like too aggressive. It's kind of like grindy, derpy value. Okay. Uh, what else do you have in blue, Ryan? Um, we already talked about them all. I only have three cards. Oh, uh, what about you, Matt? I still think the rest of these on this list are worth talking about. I think. Yeah, so- yeah, I think so. I'm going to bring up then Narset's Reversal. This is a personal favorite for me. I'm kind of like the blue-red spells do derpy stuff is my favorite is my favorite archetype, right? Uh, so Narset's Reversal is two blue, instant speed. Copy target instant or sorcery spell, then return it to its owner's hand. You may choose new targets for the copy. What do you guys think? Maybe against good against burn? Yeah, I think that's actually a great place for it. One of the, one of the better applications. Well, you know, if you're copying a burn spell to deal three to their face and they just get it back to their hand, that doesn't feel great. Mm. Oh, I think most of them are going to have a creature, usually, right? Yeah, yeah, hopefully. It's also great against, like, Dig Through Time. Dig Through Time's probably the one I should have brought up first. <laughs> Oof. Because like, they've already delved their cards away, right? So it is a real kick in the pants. I do think it's super narrow. Would you want this over Negate? I think this could be a fun of in the right deck. Okay. So I don't think you're going to play... this. Is, you can never four of or even three of this. Mm-hmm. But if you have this as like a one of and occasionally just get to stuff the control players dig through time, I think you're, you're pretty pleased with that. Hmm. What do you think, Fink? You, you seem to... Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. I think it's playable. Maybe. You know, I, I think you'll see some play somewhere. It's going to be a fun card, but... Maybe not amazing. Yeah, I guess I think it's I think it's a fun of. So you could play one of it and not feel too bad. And that's kind of how I feel about the next card I'm gonna bring up, which is Spark Double. Uh, and this is a card that I've tested just a little bit, so I will want to talk about it. So it's four mana, three and a blue, for an illusion, and it can enter the battlefield as a copy of a creature or planeswalker you control, except enters with an additional plus one plus one counter if it's a creature, or an additional loyalty counter if it's planeswalker. Um, and I and if it's legendary. 
if the permanent it's copying is legendary, then Spark Double is not legendary. So it's a copy of any planeswalker or creature you can you control, mm. and it's slightly bigger or slightly higher loyalty. Or I think with the case of Gideon, it would be both. That's interesting. Yeah. So I'm interested to hear your take, Fink. So what I like about this card is that it's a copy of your Planeswalkers, which is cool, <laughs> but it's also a copy of your Planeswalkers that you can interact with in other zones as if it was a creature. So you can bring this back with your Kolagon's Command. You can bring it back with your Liliana and make a copy of your Liliana. Mm-hmm. So things like that make me like it, make it have a little bit more versatility than just playing another copy of your Planeswalker or playing another copy of a creature. Are there any Planeswalkers that you'd want to, like, you know, ultimate right away. Or like to use like their minus right away though, so to give that double effect. Hmm. So like Gideon of course would be great, you know, minus four, minus four, plus two to all your creatures. Yeah, and this one would stick around then. Yeah. I mean I have trouble really seeing this. I think you definitely have to play it as like a planeswalker copy. It just I feel like at the point that you have planeswalkers on the board in Frontier, you're you're doing pretty well. So I, I don't know. It it's a, it's a, yeah. So you'd want some you'd want some cheap planeswalkers, some reasonable three to four mana ones. Yeah, it's definitely a powerful effect, and I don't think we have any planeswalker duplication in the format yet. So it could be cool. I just uh, I feel like I'm I'm winning already if my planeswalkers have stuck around. Yeah. So that's the obvious other side is that if you're behind, you know, they're killing every creature you play against a red deck, then it's not going to be very good. But if you can, you know, bring it out, even if you're copying something like a Gifted Aetherborn, that feels pretty good. Four mana, does it? I mean, a 3-4 lifelink death touch does not hurt against uh, aggro. Actually, that's true. It does have the plus one, plus one counter. All right, all right. I'm coming around. All right, I'm going to move us on to... Oh, no, there's one more that you wanted to talk about here. Uh, Flux Channeler. So this is three mana, 2-2, human wizard, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, proliferate. What do you guys think? It's, it's the setup. I haven't seen how it works yet, so I can't really say too much. It feels yeah, like feel it like... should be in a pro S deck, but at the same time, pro S doesn't give counters, so it's like, eh. I, I feel like it's honestly not that good, to be honest. I like it a lot. <laughs> I think you can maybe play it, and like, I think we have some like actually good amass cards in the format now. Hmm. And I feel like I don't know. It's, I'm probably just like crazy talking about it like this. But oh, uh, I, have, I, don't I have a question, I, though. Yeah. So, like, if you're playing against a deck that wants to remove counters from a permanent, like Thing in the Ice, you could use this to add more counters, right? Yeah, there's a couple interesting things you can do. So one thing I really like about Proliferate is that you can add the third counter to somebody else's history of Benalia mm-hmm. and just, you know, make it die okay. with when it's your turn instead of their turn. Nice, nice. As I've... S- uh, that, Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, sorry, that, that was it. As I've sat here marinating on Flux Chandler, I think it's unplayable bad. I don't know what I was thinking. 2-2 mm. two, two for 3 mana has not traditionally done very well in front of you. Yeah, it doesn't, even if it's a card that wins you the game like a Rabble Master. It doesn't impact the board right away. I don't know. I I was crazy. I had a, I had a lapse in sanity. Forgive me. All right, let's move on to Black. Ooh, lots of big black. So why don't we start maybe with some of the cycles that we needed to finish here? So there's God Eternal Bantu. Mm. He is also 5 mana as a 5-6 menace. 
And when it enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice any number of other permanents and then draw that many cards. Would you guys play this in, like, a rally or some kind of aristocrats-type deck? So that is where I've tried messing with him so far. Uh, he seems okay there. You know, 5-6 Menace is not anything to scoff at, even for 5 mana. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you're definitely playing him, I think, for that sacrifice ability. And it's pretty good. Yeah, you... Um, w- one thing I found is that I don't mind sacrificing, you know, maybe half of my lands mm-hmm. because you're probably going to draw three, four lands, and if you're, you know, mm-hmm. an aristocrat's deck, you probably don't have a lot of expensive cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's my main problem with him, right? That's what you just said. If you're an aristocrat deck, you don't have a lot of expensive cards, so just play collected company. Just, mm-hmm. just be a rally deck, you know. Like the combo is just so low cost to have in the deck. To me, this is sure. this is a card that wants to be like a, almost like a fair, long game aristocrats plan, and I just I, I can't imagine a scenario where it's not better to just include four copies of Rally in your deck. And so, compared to something like Rally or Coco that you said, what I do like about him is that it lets you play something like Dreadhorde Invasion or uh, Hidden Stockpile. So, why don't we talk about Dreadhorde Invasion? Because I think that's a very important black card from the set we need to talk about. Yeah, I agree. I really like Dreadhorde Invasion. Did it get removed? Yeah, it's, I think so. Uh, yeah, I don't see it on your sheet here, but that, that one is one and one black for an enchantment, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you pay one life and amass one. So you make a 1-1 one, one army if you don't have one, or well, it's a 0-1 with a plus one plus one counter on it, which makes is relevant. Uh, or if you already have an army, you add a counter to it. And then if you have a zombie token with power six or greater and it attacks, it gets lifelink. Which is not totally trinket text. Um, in a deck with something like scales, these things get to a six-six pretty damn quick. Yeah, the, in a scales deck, this would be nutty. This might actually let scales compete again. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've tested this card a lot. I have to say, and like just kind of various mid-range builds, kind of like aggressive abs and jund, all that stuff, and I just it it jostles me back and forth. I can never quite figure out if it's good or not. Because, <laughs> like, yeah. there are a lot of games where, like, I block every turn with it and I chump and it saves me a whole bunch of life and it keeps me in the game long enough to stabilize. And there's other games where, like, the, the control player kills it every three or four turns. It never does anything and then it kills me. Yeah. So what do you guys think? About I think it's it, the, the power level's there. You know, it's another one of these, you know, it's that strong, we'll find a use for it. And I think it could fit into some existing decks. Like, I think we could fit this into an Abzan build and be happy with it. I definitely was most happy when I was playing it beside, like, Copter. Hmm. Uh, because it just, it let me weaponize the little bodies a little better when I needed to. Um, and it just, it, it was more threats that were really difficult to deal with at, like, sorcery speed and all that stuff, so... Like I said, I've been happier with it having Copter in the deck, but it's been a weird one for me, for sure. I think it is okay. playable. Yeah, I don't hate that it's an enchantment for things like Grim Flare, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a factor for sure. All right, so well, that, I, I was going to say we're going to finish the cycles in black. So Finale of Eternity, I just want to give a quick mention to X Black Black Mythic Sorcery destroy up to three target creatures with toughness X or less, and if it's ten or more, then you return all creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. 
So, you know, I was talking about there's not very many X ones, so that means this is a four mana spell, probably at minimum. Mm-hmm. At four mana spell, you can kill three creatures with toughness two or less. At that point, you could be doing Languish. You could have been doing um, one of the three mana sweepers a turn sooner. That's not amazing. If you're killing three toughness creatures at five mana, you know, what, what deck is playing multiple three toughness creatures? And at this point, you're... So I, I'm not seeing a lot of use cases. Just kind of thinking through it out loud here. You I mean, probably sounds... want to wrap, right? I mean, maybe. It sounds sweet to kill, like, all three of their prowess dudes, you know, from Atarka Red, but it's mm-hmm. just like... In order for this to be better than Languish, you have to have a board that you don't want to kill. In in which case, it's a really expensive, weird removal spell. Um, mono Black. The Mono Black like, control deck that's in standard right now could possibly make the jump to Frontier with a card like this. Because it's got a lot of ramp in there already. I don't know if I'm, if I'm super going to believe that, but like, I hope you're right, because that'd be cool feel like that deck is not just not on the level of other frontier decks yeah okay um but speaking of bringing stuff back from the graveyard a card that i wanted to talk about real quick just because of the possibility of a new archetype i think command the dread horde which is choose any number of target creature planeswalker cards and graveyards and then it deals damage to you equal to their total converted mana cost and then brings them back onto the battlefield under your control that card, along with that Gideon's Sacrifice, could be a nice little combo. Yeah, that's that's a tough combo to, to stomach. I think I more see this <clears throat> comboing with something like Soulfire Grandmaster or with the Wanderer, okay. both of whom would uh, make it safe to play this. You know, you wouldn't take any damage. Not totally safe, though, because, you know, if they kill that in response or if they counter your Gideon's uh, Sacrifice in response then this still kills you. You know, you have to choose the targets when you cast it. Mm-hmm. It's also a six-mana spell, so I'm not sold on it. It's something I want to brew with, but I feel like if it exists, it'll be a pretty fringe deck. And I'm saying this as someone who's happy to play Primeval's Glory yes, of Rebirth, was, which is exactly. kind of the same thing. That's why I chose it, because you used that the other, other season. <laughs> yes. So. I mean, six-mana sorcery speed. You guys know what I think about this. Mm. We think that you want to play it in Marvel. Mm. You, you got me figured out. You, you've uh, nailed it. So I'm going to go to another cycle. Love the cycles here. Liliana's Triumph, one in the black. Each opponent sacrifices a creature as an instant, and if you control Liliana Planeswalker, they also discard a card. So this is Diabolical Edict. Amazing card. Legacy playable card. It's slightly better, even doesn't target. And maybe some trinket text, maybe some upside if you've got Liliana in your deck. So I've never been a fan of edicts. To tell the truth, only it's only gonna be good against mid-range decks. I really want this to be a great card, and every time I've tried to play it, I just feel really bad. Hmm. And like, it's just kind of like a lot of the time I find like I'm just I'm getting their one drop, you know? Like I just I don't get much for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I when I really needed like a cast down or, or whatever other like targeted two mana removal. It's definitely got the raw power, right? Like, there's... When you say Legacy playable, that that's no joke, but it's also because Legacy is full of shit like uh, True Name Nemesis, right? Yeah, and uh, and Merit Lodge. Yeah, yeah, so... In Frontier, I kind of like with <clears throat> that Dragon of Tarkir card that, you know, 
target player sacrifices a white or green card and then you like drain two and gain two or something like that, I think that's slightly better. Well, I mean, this is main deckable. Yeah, this is main deckable, which is the difference there. And I don't think it's bad with... So in the kind of deck that would be running a Liliana... So I, I feel like there's just been a lot of cards for exactly my kind of deck where, you know, you're running them out of resources, and this plays right into that. So you're already killing their one-drops, so you're going to hit their big thing. You're going to take a card from their hand with your Liliana. That seems gross. So mm-hmm. it's a card I'm interested in. It'll probably be, you know, a one-of or two-of in the kind of deck that wants a little bit more removal. And... uh It'll probably see a little bit of play. I I tend to agree with you. I think it is playable as like a one of, maybe two of. I think think part of my problem with it is I think uh, Liliana the Last Hope is really bad right now. Like, really bad. Interesting. Like, I think she's awful. She's just like, there's not enough X1s in the format anymore, and she's just three mana sorcery speed don't really do anything. It's kind of a death sentence into like a Tarka. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it'll change. Cause I am expecting like a big meta shakeup with this set. So maybe if we see like mono white come back on the back of Gideon Blackblade, maybe oh, I hope so. may, maybe Liliana will see a tick up. That'd be pretty cool. So all right, I've been talking a lot. Do you guys have another black card that you'd like to move on to? Well, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the Elder Spell. I think it's a great card. I think it definitely deserves a place in the sideboard. But do we actually have a lot of Planeswalkers in the Frontier format that we have to worry about. I'm not what sure. What does it do, Ryan? So, <laughs> the Elder Spell says, destroy any number of target Planeswalkers, and then choose a Planeswalker you control and put two loyalty counters on it for each Planeswalker destroyed this way. And what does this magical spell cost? Two, so it's uh, two black. And what, right, and what right, kind of spell is it? What kind of spell sorcery. is it? <laughs> got there, guys. There yeah, but go. who is the artist? Uh, yeah. Okay, so... Darkest. It only destroys Planeswalkers, so you'd have to be against a deck that has, you know, at least one Planeswalker, I assume, at this point. Hmm. Unless if you're really trying to win off of ulting a Planeswalker you control, which is possible, but it's it's difficult. You know, I've tried to build a deck around the, um, there was a kill spell recently that exiled a creature and put two loyalty counters on a Planeswalker, and it was really, really fun when it instantly won you the game by, you know, like, ulting your Chandra on turn mm-hmm. five or something, but the rest of the time, you're not really doing much. Yeah, I mean, if you kill your own Planeswalkers, it's fine. If you if you set up if you set up if you set up your it's your fine deck, if you win the game yes, on the spot. Yes, it's yes. not fine if you kill all your don't have two Planeswalkers. Yeah. Some kind of combo. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's like a really splashy, important War of the Spark spell, and I'm really like I want it to be good because like it's efficient removal, uh, hits planeswalkers, and like we don't like that that's traditionally been a good one to be able to hit in Frontier. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's just so narrow. Mm-hmm. Like if we ever get like a, a properly good uh, Super Friends deck, right? This control deck will will run this in the yeah. sideboard, and if we don't, they won't. That's that's kind of like as far as it goes. Okay, why don't we move on to red if we can? Did you want to move on to red, or do you want to talk anything else about uh, black? Like Bolas's Citadel, maybe? Well, now that you've said it, we have to talk about it. Read it out. So, Bolas's Citadel, six mana, uh, three in black, black, black. And uh, you may look at the top card of your library at any time, and you may play the top card of your library. And if you cast a spell this way, you have to pay life equal to its converted mana cost rather than paying its mana cost. 
And then you can also tap it to sacrifice 10 non-land permanents, and each opponent loses 10 life. There's got to be some kind of combo involved here. Paying your life, playing cards, winning I mean, the we game. We do have Aether Sphere Harv or Aether Sphere. What is it called? Uh, Aether Harvest. You know the one. That A- Aether Flux Reservoir. Aether Flux Reservoir. That's yeah. the one. So those in theory combo <clears throat> together, but I'm not yet seeing the combo there. Like you, you would need a lot more deck manipulation than I feel mm-hmm. like we have. Yeah, I don't know. Six mana is a is a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can marvel into it, and especially see how that works. Especially with K Command in the format and its artifact. <laughs> All right, now I'd like to move on to red. We'll see if we can wrap up our monocolored in well, this episode, and then kind of do. We'll record our part two immediately afterwards, which will be the uh, the multicolored and kind of our top five for the set. Do you so let's move on to red. I don't know if I've got a top five. Black and yeah. then. Nope, we, are, we have moved on. So let's finish up our couple of cycles here. So I've got Neheb, Dreadhorde okay. Champion, 4-mana Legendary, Zombie Minotaur Warrior... Oh, he's not a god. Okay. I was thinking he was the god of this cycle, mm. uh, but that's not true. We've got Ilharg, so I should probably read him instead. Uh, let's, let me finish Neheb. Sorry. Getting off track here. 5-4, whenever he deals combat damage to a player or Planeswalker, you can discard any number of cards. You, If you do, draw that many cards and add that much red. Till end of turn, you don't lose his mana as phases end. So he's bad. He's a 5-4. Doesn't affect the board right away. I know. Uh, that's just not good enough. But his effect is so sweet, and I want him to be good so bad. <laughs> I'm glad. Oh, we're just giving him a call-out. We're giving him a shout-out for the uh, you know the madness deck that doesn't quite exist. Look at the cool factor. He's got the style points. All right. Now, if you want some cool factor, Ilharg is a boar with a mohawk. So 5-mana, <clears throat> 6-6. Six, six. That, that seems like slightly better stats. Trample. And when he attacks, you can put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking. You return that creature card to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. And when he dies or is put into an exile from the great battlefield, you can put him on top of your, you know, third from the top of the library. I like Ilharg a lot. I, I think there's some some kind of green-red stompy deck there that's going to want him. So I would love for a green-red stompy deck to exist in the format, and I don't feel like it does right now. So... If that's going to exist, hopefully he's part of it, but that would be a, a real shakeup in Frontier, because we really have never had that deck be viable. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. There's a card later we're going to talk about that I think might pair really well with this guy, and maybe we'll get to that interaction when we talk about that card. So, Okay. Um, what else have we got here? So we've got Finale of Promise. This is the other cycle I want to finish. X, Red, Red. You can cast up to one target instant card and or one target sorcery card, from your graveyard, each with converted mana cost X or less without paying their mana costs. Uh, if you cast a card this way, it's put in the graveyard, you exile it, and if ten or more, instead you copy those two more times. Seems too janky to me. It seems like, I don't know what kind of good value you can get. So, are you happy playing this for X equals one and casting two burn spells from your graveyard, getting three prowess triggers? Well, it has to be, in has to has be an to be instant be... and a sorcery, right? Yeah, so it has to be an instant and a sorcery, and I can't think of much in the way of one-mana sorceries that we play in Frontier. Yeah, I mean, like, when you talk about the upside on this card, it seems insane, you know? Uh, Finale of Promise for four, and then I'm going to Thought Erasure you, and, you know, abrade your Gearhulk. Because, of, mm-hmm. of course, what, let, let's, let's maximize how good this card is. Um, it seems, like, I don't know, it just seems, it's asking you to jump through a lot of hoops, so... Yeah. There's been a lot of hype on this card, but I think, I I think it's like, it's wishful thinking. 
like maybe you could play one. Yeah, you're never gonna get to ten, I think. Yeah, even if you know if I can get a duress and a fatal push, maybe. But yeah, even that seems unlikely to always have it set up correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just seems and that seems not better than fine. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why am I playing this card that I have to set up so much for it to be fine? Yeah, that would be, you know, I could just play another copy of Coldown's Command and do the exact same thing, discard a card and kill a creature. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, I'm going to move us on a little bit. Uh, how about Mizium Tank? So this is one, you know, we almost started to talk about it before the episode. I don't know how to evaluate this card. It's super interesting. So it's a three mana, one and two red for a th- artifact vehicle. So it's a three, two when it's crewed, uh, crew one. It has Trample, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, it becomes an artifact creature and gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. I think it's great in red, red, blue, and soul. You cast in soul artifact, it becomes, you know, a 4-2, sorry, 4-3, you know, or... Well, it becomes a... or a 6-6. Six, six. Or you cast uh, Shrapnel Blast on something else on your Ornithopter, Oof. and then you, this becomes a 4-3 Trample. And you just... I could see, like, an in-soul artifact prowess, like, kind of combination deck. So three mana is cheap enough that I'd be interested in it there. Yeah, I mean, I kind of see it in, like, a Mardu vehicles list, because all your other vehicles hit it. Yeah. And then you you have, like, your lightning strikes and, like, your just, like, aggressive spells, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, and I mean, even, like, I could see a Tark applying it, um, if... If for whatever reason they didn't want to play Chain Whirler or like their Ferocidons, like I think it's high enough quality that you can play it in that kind of three drop slot in Atarka. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if you turn it on using its non creature spell ability, that means it's got a three toughness. That's that's kind of the baseline that I need to have in my three drop. I mean, I think it's re- you could reasonably go like double spell, you know? So you go like uh, Wild Slash into Atarka's command. And this thing is just enormous now, right? Like, that would be a 4-3-5-4-6-5 Trampler. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think it's playable. I don't think it's, like, blow the roof off, because, like, red three drops are already so good. Okay. So. Uh, do you guys have anything else in red that you really want to talk about here? No, I'm I'm done with red for yeah. sure. I kind of like okay, Cranko, then... but that's just more of a jank. Yeah, Janko Cranko. All right, so why don't we move on to our green cards here. Again, I'm just going to kind of jump through some of the cycles I know we have. We've got Ronus, who personally I think is one of the worst of these gods. You know, 5 mana, 5-5 five, five Death Touch, which is awkward on a 5-5. Five, five. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you double the power and of each other creature you control until end of turn, and they gain Vigilance. So it doesn't double their toughness, just their power. It doesn't give them Trample, it gives them Vigilance. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I didn't even read that it didn't double their toughness. Oh, that makes me so sad. Yeah, so this is, uh, so doubling vigilance, or giving them vigilance without toughness is awkward. You you could still, you know, swing with a bunch of things and have them just die. I mean, I don't think this is actually as bad as you're making it out. I feel like you could put this sure. in, like, elf ball, right? Like, you just, like, you just turbo elves, you have unlimited mana because you're an elf deck, and then you mm-hmm. you just kill them. But right. if I've got unlimited mana, I feel like I'd rather play, uh, you know, the raise for forerunner, a raise forerunners, whatever they're called. I just feel like you can. I mean, I, when I say unlimited, I don't really mean unlimited. Yeah. You have acceleration, right? So you can probably hit the board with this earlier um, than most decks otherwise could. 
And like doubling doubling power is is a lot of power to the board you could be adding. Yeah, you know, it's awkward because I mean if you've got if you're going very wide, you've got a lot of one ones, you're only adding plus one plus one to them. That's not game breaking. And if you've got some big things and they don't have trample, you're not gonna get through for a lethal with this. So it it's a lot of jump hoops to jump through for me. I mean, I think this 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 adds a bit of synergy to some of those elf decks, though, where, like, previously Steel Leaf Champion was just, like, a really weird card in Elf, right? Like, you mm-hmm. you really kind of wanted to be able to play it turn two, and, and you could because you had the eight dorks, but it just... But if you didn't, then it wasn't <clears throat> just not a great card. Yeah, and you just kind of... Even when you did play it on turn two, you didn't really have anywhere to go with it. Mm-hmm. So, like... A lot of a lot of decks that used to play like dorks into something big, right? So like the old school Abzan style decks where they used to play Dork into Thalia would then like go, Okay, uh double Rhino Gideon, right? So it's like yeah. it's being able to build off this momentum you've built on turn like this early momentum on turn two, right? Whereas elves never really felt like they had a way to do that. And and I'm thinking maybe this guy is it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about... So those are the kind of the big cycles, I think. No, no, we didn't talk about the... Uh, Finale. Finale of Devastation. I like this card. I don't know if it'll yeah. be played, but I love it. Uh, so X, green, green, search your library and or graveyard for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less, and put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it, and if X was 10 or more, creatures you control get plus 10, plus 10, <laughs> in case to it. <laughs> All creatures you control. I <laughs> love it. So... I don't care about doubling power. I want to give them all plus 10, plus 10. Yeah. So, stoppy ramp. This card is sweet, but I... What do you, what do you think, Ryan? Where are you at with it? I, I like it a lot. I mean, I would totally play it if uh, I had a way to get that much mana that quickly. Um, I mean, here's, I guess, my problem with it. If I'm not paying 12 mana for this, right? It's just better to play Cord or, like, Traverse the Oldenwald, right? There's no reason for me to play this. Outside of going for the kill, mm. yeah. I mean, the flexibility doesn't hurt, and I mean, I like the if graveyard not, target. Yeah, there are times where it, it can be better than cord. You know, if you don't have two creatures or one creature that you can tap. You know what I like? Instant speed. Like? <laughs> Convoke. Well, then that's why we're playing our uh, land that we can sacrifice to make this instant speed. Yeah, and, yeah. And that's why we're playing. Bird. No, I was going to jump through. I was going to say, isn't there a, a card that gives your things Convoke, but that, that gives uh, artifacts you control Convoke? I'm, play this. I, so, Mycosynthalatus. Would you play I'm, this and target Ulamog and then, like, uh, bring him in and... Swing for 20? Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And everybody else? <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping someone smarter than me finds a way to break this. Yeah. I'm going to try it first in standard, and if that works, maybe we'll move it to frontier. But yeah. right now, it's it's up in the air. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty skeptical. This is gonna this is gonna make it there in frontier. It's it's really close. Okay. Unfortunately, we still have a lot of green cards worth talking about. I'm going to jump to an uncommon evolutionary sage. So we've talked a little bit about proliferate. This might be the easiest one possible. Three mana, <laughs> three two elf druid, and whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, proliferate. This has to break something, right? Oh, it's got to. There's got to be a way that you know you you're playing a land, you're playing a fetch, you're you're fetching it, and you're adding to loyalty to I don't know your Nissa, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, and like we have a lot of cool ways to get lands onto the battlefield in kind of these colors, right? So if we did even like like a Renegade Rallyer is a really great thing that you could yeah. pair with this to get like double procs. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff it's kind of awkward because a lot of the good ways to get land onto the battlefield don't have counters on them. Yeah, that that seems it seems playable. It seems like it's got to be playable. You know, it does compete with things like tireless tracker in the same slot, but it probably also goes perfectly hand in hand with tireless tracker because he gets counters. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so I'm just like thinking. So Nissa voices Zendikar, tick up to four, play this, play a fetch. Nissa goes to six, and then you plus again. So the next turn you can ult. Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's got to be a way because like lands onto the battlefield is a pretty low opportunity cost. Yeah, definitely. Does this have any kind of I mean, combo with like scape shift or anything like that? You think? I mean, it should yeah, I mean, could. It's an option. We do have scape shift, but we haven't. I haven't seen yet what we can make as an actual combo to just win the game off of that. Um, all right, so I'm going to move on. We're going to keep thinking on that card. Bond of Flourishing, I want to mention. One in a green. Look at the top three cards of your library. You can reveal a permanent card from among them, put into your hand, and put the rest in the bottom, and you gain three life. So it's somewhere between an Anticipate, a Revitalize, a Oath of Nyssa. Mm. This card seems pretty strong, right? Yeah, I think I wouldn't look twice at this without the gain three life, but I think mm-hmm. I think green decks have been hurting for a while. Like green decks that don't have white have been hurting for a while to get like life stabilization tools into a Tarka. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think this card's amazing, but I think it's almost like it's just the perfect fit um, for when you just you really need that life stabilization. And I think a lot of green decks do in the format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like a Planeswalker deck, a Sahili deck. A tokens deck. I, I could definitely see the scenes in play. Yeah. Alright, um, maybe one more. Uh, Vivian's Arcbow. Yeah. Have to talk about one the green legendary artifact. You can pay X, tap, discard a card. Look at the top X cards of your library, and you can put a creature card with converted amount cost X or less among them onto the battlefield. So much potential. This is definitely going to create a new archetype, I think. You know, some kind of, not pod deck, but but, you know, some kind of ETB into the battlefield toolbox deck. Yeah, it's one that I need to test with more because it's awkward in how big do you want to go with this? Do you want to be, oh, I'm doing this for seven mana and finding my big creature? Or am I trying to do this for four and hoping to hit a siege rhino off the top of the deck? So having played with this a little bit, you definitely need to be able to accelerate with it. Okay. Um, so I would say you have to be going to at least five mana. I probably wouldn't want to go beyond six with it, though. Like, we're not... We're not committed to acceleration with Vivian's Arcbow. It's just like, it's part of what we do so that we can have, like, we can be slamming bigger bombs. You, you, yeah, and you really awkward with me because if I have a sixth or a seventh mana, I'd be wanting to sacrifice it to my Vivian's Arcbow rather than putting it into play to make bigger things. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's part of it, right? So, you need to be able to dig deep just to guarantee you're going to get that good hit. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> one thing that I actually think is really interesting and might actually work with uh, with a card we've talked about already is Ilharg, right? So, if you are able to cast Ilharg with this, you get kind of like the pseudo-haste, because you'll cast him end of turn. So, you're flashing him in. He's uncounterable. They don't get a chance to peel him from your hand. Um, he never goes away, and he, no matter what, he will always come back before the end of the next turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you will always be able to swing with him every single turn until the game ends. That seems really powerful to me. 
All right, any uh, any last minute picks? Any shout outs? I, I kind of want to just give a, a shout out in green to Paradise Druid. That's the two mana two one that can tap for any mana, and it's hexproof as long as it's untapped. I think, I think that card will see play. I think that card is straight garbage. Like there's it, it's. It, it be, will see play because I'm going to play it. <laughs> it could be in a, an Ascendancy. Yeah, but Ascendant, the reason Sylvan Cargated was good is because you could never deal with it. Right? Without, with like, spot removal just didn't hit it. Mm. Spot removal's going to hit this. It, like, it's just like, sure, you got the tap with it first, but it's just like you're turn, you'd basically be turning on your opponent's removal. So I just, it's yeah, one of the strengths like of Ascendancy, time... right? By the time you've gotten it out in Ascendancy, yeah, so I'm talking specifically about Sylvan Ascendancy. By the time you've gotten the mana out of it, you're winning the game with the card. So that might be worth the power level. I don't know. I'm not convinced, but maybe uh, maybe you're right. Maybe I, I'm mis-evaluating this. I, I'm not a master of dorks. Okay, uh, so, anything else? Anything so there's one more I want to give a shout-out to here, and that's Awakening of V2 Gazi. So that's uh, three mana, or sorry... Three colorless, two green, put nine plus one. Yeah, so five mana total. Three colorless, two green. Instant speed. Put nine plus one plus one counters on target land you control. It becomes a legendary zero zero elemental creature with haste named V2 Gazi. Still a land. Fatal that was wish. A so we do have multiple lands in Frontier that are indestructible. And nine, nine plus one plus one counters is a lot. We also have Sylvan Advocate, who's pretty sweet with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like instant speed Tomic. matters. Like, I think this is playable, but like fringe. So I just wanted yeah. to drop that there. All right, we'll give it a try for sure. So you wanted to call this and do uh, top five in multicolor next yeah, time? Yeah, so if anyone hasn't heard, we are MTG Frontier. You can find us mtgfrontier.net. Uh, I was Kevin Finkel. We've got Ryan Schwink as well as Matt Murday. Hope you guys reach out to us. Tell us anything that you thought was cool in War of the Spark, especially anything that we didn't cover. And we are going to go over our multicolored cards and planeswalkers in part two of this episode. Thank you guys for listening. And for everyone out there, we look forward to being your go-to source for Frontier Information Online. Your final Frontier, signing off for now.